This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio, the 11th day of January 2021. Lots to get to this morning. Of course, a huge NFL weekend, so we're going to go around all of the games this weekend, talk about what's coming up this coming week uh, in the NFL and um, a couple of surprising results yesterday. So we'll get to all that in a minute. But before we do, uh, a couple of things. Uh, the fallout from the uh, attempted coup, I guess, is the only way I can think to put it, that happened at the Capitol last week. Uh, the repercussions, everything is starting to uh, come home. They have made a number of arrests. And uh, there was talk that the original, you know, thought was that the most these people could be charged with was trespassing. Well, there now have been 25 people uh, that have been charged with uh, much more serious federal crimes. And uh, this is going to get ugly. And uh, they have uh, over 40,000 tips now to the FBI. The FBI has been putting out uh, posters all over the country with pictures of people asking for help in identifying folks who were involved in this uh, some some of the scenes that uh, they I saw this morning on the Today show uh, from inside that uh, mess horrifying about how chaotic it really was and and how how uh, how close to a tipping point that really was and you know now there's talk that there could be a uh, another march on all the capitals in the states and uh, as well as the federal government coming up in a week or so I hope that doesn't happen because man I'll tell you what it has the potential because one of the things I heard was a potential uh, armed uh, protest that uh, that has the potential to get messy so I hope that doesn't happen uh, but one of the other fallout things is uh, Donald Trump's golf course in Bedminster New Jersey uh, has lost the PGA championship next year they were supposed to host uh, the 2020 PGA and the PGA of America has decided to uh, terminate that agreement. Uh, and by the way, they have a history of doing this. This isn't something that's just a reaction to this. Uh, they were supposed to have a um, another tournament at a Trump golf course in Los Angeles back in 2015. And the PGA canceled that event there after Trump made a bunch of disparaging remarks about Mexican immigrants when he was uh, just seeking the nomination for president. Uh, so the PGA pulled out of that, and they've decided to do the same thing here. They just said that uh, uh, protecting their brand and reputation, and I think it's a smart move. Look, there's companies now all over the country, including Citibank and, uh, and the Goldman Sachs and 
Blue Cross Blue Shield, a number like uh, seven or eight huge companies that are no longer going to be making political donations. And I don't know if that's just to the GOP or if it is political uh, contributions, period. But this is, you know, this is (laughs) it's just going to be one thing after another after another. So, uh, you know, so Trump loses it and uh, good, good. (laughs) By the way, you know, one other thing before we get to uh, uh, sports news. uh, A lot of people were griping about Twitter closing down Trump, uh, shutting him down and Facebook, et cetera, and saying, well, you know, it's a violation of free speech. Here's one thing to remember, folks, when it comes to free speech and the First Amendment of our Constitution. The First Amendment of our Constitution was written in such a way so that the government cannot shut down free speech. So the government cannot go to a newspaper and say, you can't print this. This is just about uh, people being harmed or being shut down by the government in terms of being able to speak their mind. It does not apply to private companies. Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever one you want, they are all private companies. So they can limit what you can say. They can say we will not accept hate speech on our platforms. Absolutely. Um. It's the same way as if you work for a company and the the company tells you that you can't wear jeans to work. They are a private company. They have a right to tell you what you can wear to work. They have the right to tell you you can't uh, uh, disparage the company on social media or you will lose your job. They have that right. They are a private company. So free speech is about the government shutting down people from speaking their mind. It's not about private companies. Keep that in mind. Uh, when you want to start screaming about freedom of speech. A couple other notable things from the sports world this weekend. Uh, D. Rowe passed away here in the state of Connecticut. Now, a lot of you may not know that name uh, if you're young. Uh, D. Rowe was the basketball coach at the University of Connecticut for about, I think, nine years. He coached until the late 70s. He is a guy that convinced Jim Calhoun to come to UConn to coach. He is a guy that was on the search committee that brought Gino Oriema to the University of Connecticut. So he coached basketball there for a number of years, but this is a guy that even when he stepped down as a coach, he stayed with the university. He stayed on Uh, When he retired as a basketball coach, he stayed on as an advisor to the athletic director and a fundraiser. He never moved from his home that is right near uh, the university campus. Uh, He is a guy that would come to the campus all the time, and he would be dressed. This isn't a guy that showed up in sweatpants, you know, or or a sweatsuit. This is a guy that dressed uh, impeccably, jacket, tie. He always looked, uh, looked great. He was, as I mentioned, said yesterday on uh, Facebook, he was class personified. Had an opportunity to meet D. Rowe a couple of times in my life. You know, I mean, I can't say that, that he was a friend of mine. I mean, you know, I met him, in, you know, one time I had a, about a five-minute conversation with him and uh, one other time that I interacted with him uh, when our basketball team was playing against UConn. Just one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And a guy who bled... UConn blue. He absolutely did. 
And so uh, he was, he lived to be 91 years old, and he died uh, early Sunday morning uh, in Storrs, Connecticut. So I uh, just wanted to uh, take a minute to recognize his passing. And speaking of somebody who bled blue, uh, Tommy Lasorda, uh, one of the most colorful managers and one of my favorite people in the history of baseball, passed away this weekend. Tommy was 93 years old. He had been hospitalized, and I remember last week there was news that uh, he had come home from the hospital. So I, I took that as good news, uh, you know. And I'm wondering if maybe that uh, they just knew that uh, he wasn't going to do well, and uh, uh, and that uh, perhaps he would just, uh, you know, go home. Uh, but uh, he had a uh, a heart attack at his uh, home uh, Friday night. And uh, or Thursday night into Friday morning and passed away. Uh, news came about uh, out about that uh, after we had left the air on Friday morning. So I wanted to mention that. Tommy, even if you weren't a Dodger fan, you had to love Tommy Lasorda. He was as colorful as it gets and a guy that uh, played minor league and uh, professional baseball for the Dodgers. And now his pro career, I think, has lasted about 26 games between the Dodgers and the uh, Kansas City Athletics. He wasn't much of a major leaguer, but this is a guy that uh, became a minor league coach for the Dodgers, eventually moved on to Walter Alston's staff uh, and took over when Walter Alston retired and stayed as manager of the Dodgers um, forever. And then when he left the Dodgers, he retired from managing. He went on to become a team vice president and – has always said that there was a great uh, there's a great piece if you haven't seen it go on to the major league baseball website mlb.com uh, Matt Vasgersian who I'm not a huge fan of but he he uh, he narrates a great uh, piece about Tommy Lasorda I think it's seven or eight minutes long there's a video on there check it out uh, but one of the great things in this video he says when I die I want my wife to put the Dodgers schedule on my tombstone Every year, so that people will know where the Dodgers are, and be, and they will know, you know, that this was my home. Uh, you know, a guy who is uh, a Hall of Famer, and a guy who is just uh, funnier than hell. And you see some of the uh, uh, some of the clips that they had in this piece were were priceless. So you know, I I highly encourage you to. Uh, uh, to check it out and uh, and remember a great guy, a great ambassador for the game of baseball, Tommy Lasorda. Nobody got any better, and you know, and he was a throwback. I mean, he is a guy that is one of the few old timers left from you know that golden age of baseball. And we were talking about this um, on Facebook a little bit over the weekend uh, with some friends of mine, and I saw a post by Paul Giri, uh, who's a listener of our show. Uh, talking about the golden age of baseball, you know, and Tommy Lasorda was part of the, in my mind, he was part of the golden age of baseball for me, people of my uh, age group. I mean, I'm 60 years old, and to me, uh, my favorite time of baseball would probably be between 1970 and, say, 1990-ish, and Tommy Lasorda was a part of all of that. And uh, so uh, it's sad for me. You know, uh, because he was a, a colorful character and uh, uh, a guy who just loved the game, and he loved his Dodgers, and uh, and the Dodger faithful are going to uh, to miss him. Um, so the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest treasure probably, you know, you look at it in in Dodger blue. Tommy Lasorda was one of the greatest treasures they had left. Um, 
probably uh, right up there with uh, Vin Scully and uh, Sandy Koufax, who is uh, still with us. Uh, those were probably the greatest living uh, Dodger treasures, and uh, we lost one of them uh, over the weekend when Tommy Lasorda passed away. So I uh, just want to take a minute to recognize that. Um, so let's get to uh, some other things from the weekend, and obviously we will start with football. And let's start with last night's game. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say I am stunned by the win for the Cleveland Browns last night over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Look, the Browns have shown the ability to play well this year. Uh, now, they got absolutely hammered at Heinz Field earlier in the season. Now, they had they struggled to beat a Steeler team the other day that was missing their starting quarterback. You know, Ben Roethlisberger sat it out. And, uh, you know, they had a hard – they won it by a couple of points, but that got them into the playoffs. But we have seen this Browns team time after time after time be able to put up some pretty convincing numbers. Now, having said that, the Pittsburgh Steelers handed this game to Cleveland yesterday. The Steelers were down 28 to nothing by the end of the first quarter. First snap of the game, <laughs> Marquise Pouncey airmails a uh, shotgun snap over Ben Roethlisberger's head, winds up in the end zone. Uh, Carl Joseph falls on it, and Cleveland's leading 7 nothing. and 14 seconds have gone off the clock. I mean, and then Ben Roethlisberger threw three interceptions in the first half. Three. I mean, he just handed this game to them. Um, it is the first Browns playoff victory since 1995. And think about this. The last time the Browns won a playoff game, they beat the Patriots. But Bill Belichick was the coach of the Cleveland Browns at the time. Baker Mayfield, the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns yesterday, <laughs> wasn't even alive. Think about that. Um, now Ben threw for 500 yards yesterday. Big deal. He completed 47 passes, which by the way, is the most passes ever completed in any regular season or playoff game in NFL history. But, and he threw for 501 yards and he threw for four touchdowns, but he threw four interceptions. They handed this game away. Four interceptions and a fumble. Uh, 553 yards of offense for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and you lose this game. And if you are a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, there have to be a lot of questions in your mind. Number one, Obviously, it starts with the quarterback position. And, again, you can look at these numbers all you want, okay? You can look at 500 yards. Well, that's impressive. Four touchdown passes. That's, you know, all that. Didn't get sacked. Oh, great. He still had a quarterback rating of 85, but he threw four interceptions. You've got to question some things. Like, you know, first of all, Pittsburgh inability to run the football all season long eventually came back to bite them in the ass. James Conner had 11 carries for 37 yards. Now, the rushing game yesterday was kind of a moot point in that 
it didn't matter. They were, they got down 28 nothing. The running game was kind of out the window. But you have to question whether Ben Roethlisberger is the guy now. If you are the Pittsburgh Steelers, do you have to think about drafting a quarterback? You know, where do you go in the draft? I mean, I don't, you know, even if you decide that, you know, look, you're going to have these games and, you know, and, and Ben's still your guy, you've also seen that it's time to start thinking about some kind of succession plan. You know, what are you going to do going forward? The other part of this, and I, I don't, I don't know how seriously this will be taken, but you have to wonder if Mike Tomlin is not going to have to answer some serious questions here. And I don't think Tomlin will get fired, but there was a, situation in this game yesterday where I felt like you're down you've been getting your ass kicked all day by these Cleveland Browns all right you start to work your way back into this game a little bit you've got it to within 12 you're down 35 to 23 at the end of the third quarter all right you're down it's a two score game two touchdowns and you've got the lead you have to wonder if Mike Tomlin would like to have a decision back. So fourth and one at the Pittsburgh 46 on the first play of the fourth quarter. You still need two touchdowns. You've been getting killed all day. You were, you know, you're down 28 nothing. You've got it back. You've been out playing this Cleveland team in this, you know, in the second half. You've got the momentum. On fourth and one, you decide to punt. At the start of the fourth quarter, still needing two touchdowns. Now, again, you're going to rely – from Tomlin's standpoint, I'm sure that you think about, okay, well, we're going to, our defense is going to get it done for us. We punt the ball there. Uh, let's try to pin them deep and, uh, you know, see if we can get it back. Well, here's the problem. The first problem was is your punter uh, couldn't kick the ball out of bounds. Ends up in the end zone for a touchback. You know, and this is one of the other things that is a, a lost art – in football, it used to be in the old days when you were punting, there was a, a term called the coffin corner punt. And as a punter, you would aim for the sideline, and your goal was to try to kick the ball out of bounds so that it crosses the out-of-bounds line somewhere inside the 10-yard line, it, ideally inside the 5-yard line. That's what you tried to do. That's no longer done in the NFL. Now the play is we kick it high, we get it to bounce, and we hope somebody can get underneath it and either you know catch it for us, you know, and, and down it inside the five, or hope it hits like at the you know near the goal line and bounces back, and we get to down it inside the five. You know, there's so many, and and if you don't get the right bounce of the football, it goes into the end zone. It's a touchback. Well, that's what happened yesterday. You got to kick that ball out of bounds. We got to get back to that. That, and I don't mean to sound like the uh, the old man of the mountain, but if you kick that ball out of bounds and you try the coffin corner punt and you nail Cleveland back at the five yard line, maybe it looks like a good decision. Instead, Baker Mayfield then took Cleveland eighty yards in six plays. Eighty yards in six plays. So from 35 to 23, 
Screen pass to Nick Chubb goes 40 yards for a touchdown. It's 42-23. Game over. And I know, you know, Pittsburgh, you know, scored a couple more touchdowns. They got one with a minute left, you know, to, to kind of make it look close. But every time after that decision on fourth down and one, when they didn't go for it, Cleveland made them pay. You know, Chubb gets the uh, the touchdown. Pittsburgh gets it back, and Roethlisberger throws the touchdown pass. And now because, you know, you didn't go for it, you're desperate now because now you're down 19 points. You go for two. You don't make it. So now you're still down 13. Cleveland gets a couple more field goals to really push the lead up. And, you know, you just never had a chance. But if you go for it on fourth and one there and you make it, who knows? Who knows? But that is where we get to the problem that the that the Steelers have had all year. They can't run the football. Can't run it. Cleveland ran it plenty. Kareem Hunt, a couple of touchdowns. Eight carries, 48 yards. Nick Chubb, 18 carries for 76 yards. And, of course, Chubb with four receptions for 69 yards. They The, the backfield did a great job for the Cleveland Browns yesterday. And Baker Mayfield, good as, you know, hey, look, 21 for 34, 263, three touchdowns, no interceptions, did not get sacked. So, uh, and our buddy Dan Zampano's called him the schoolyard bully all year long where, you know, they beat up on the bad teams and they have trouble beating the good ones. But they have shown the ability a couple of times to win some big games. And, man, you know, Pittsburgh – Gave this one away, but at the same time, you have to give the Browns credit. They took advantage of everything the Steelers gave them. The old Cleveland Browns, I'm not sure would have done that. You know, they would have uh, they would have found a way to give the ball right back. So now they get to play the Kansas City Chiefs. So Baker Mayfield. And Patrick Mahomes. And I still question whether Patrick Mahomes having two straight weeks off is going to make a difference. He did not play in the season finale against the Chargers. And now he had the bye week this week. You know, and you can practice all you want. But I'm not sure whether that's going to make a difference or not. I think it might. We'll see. So, you know, again, a big win for the Cleveland Browns. Big win. And uh, they they get off to Schneid for the first time since 1995. So congratulations to the Browns. And uh, let's see let's see what you're made of next week when, when you play the big boys. It's 29 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. Back in a minute, you're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. Another fascinating game that's going to be coming up next week will be the Baltimore Ravens taking on the Buffalo Bills. Uh, the Ravens yesterday beating the Tennessee Titans 20-13, to and uh, it was uh, a one-man show yesterday for the Baltimore Ravens. And again, uh, we talked about this with uh, Dan Zampano on Friday. Uh, in the last several weeks, Lamar Jackson has made it his personal mission to get this team to where they are right now. And he did it again yesterday. 
He throws for 179 yards. Look, his quarterback play as far as throwing the football was not great. Um, you know, 17 for 24, 179, threw an interception, got sacked five times. But he also ran the ball 16 times for 136 yards, had a touchdown, had another long run that set up another touchdown. And uh, this Baltimore team had 401 yards of offense. You know, you're talking about, you know, there's the two biggest, the two best rushing teams uh, in the league. And most of that's because of Lamar Jackson, because, you know, uh, the rest of the Baltimore running backs were, you know, they were pretty good. You know, they nine carries for 43 yards, 4.8 a pop for Dobbins. Edwards, eight carries, 38 yards, 4.8 a pop. I mean, every time they carried the football, they just ran right over Tennessee. And as far as Tennessee, their hopes, look, rested on Derrick Henry. We know that. 250 yards rushing in his last regular season game, over 2,000 yards rushing this season. Well, how about yesterday, 18 carries for 40 yards. 18 carries for 40 yards. In the first two meetings uh, between these two teams, he had run for something like uh, uh, 350 yards or something ridiculous like that. 328 yards. Here it is. 328 yards. That performance yesterday was Henry's worst performance of the season. You know, Ryan Tannehill was Ryan Tannehill. You know, 165 yards, 18 for 26, touchdown, interception. Um, There was a play at the end uh, of the game that I thought that perhaps – uh, there was uh, an interference call. No call was made. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the uh, sideline for the Tennessee Titans was uh, rather enraged. I didn't think the, the officials were great in this game, but regardless, um, you know, and and I think we we need to, you know, think about that this Baltimore team and their opponent for next week are two of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. I was not a believer in Josh Allen, I'll be honest with you. You know, I mean, we, we've talked about that. I, I've always felt that, you know, his uh, accuracy left something to be desired. But this kid has made a believer out of me. And you looked at what he did against Indianapolis. And look, the, the, uh, this was not an easy win. Uh, I thought the, the Colts played very, very well. Phillip Rivers, you know, did a pretty good job. Um, had had a, a bunch of passes dropped. You know, I think he deserved a little bit better. But Josh Allen threw for 324 yards and a couple of touchdowns. He continues to run the ball exceptionally well, 11 carries, 54 yards. So think about this next week. You know, you have to give the advantage to Josh Allen next week. As much as I love Lamar Jackson and what he does, the difference between Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, now Jackson's got more breakaway speed, and, you know, Jackson is more like a running back. But Josh Allen is just as good on his feet. He doesn't have the speed, but he is a guy that that he's he's a big dude. And he can be just as dangerous with his legs 
as Lamar Jackson can. 11 carries, 54 yards yesterday. He was the rushing attack for Buffalo uh, on Saturday because the rest of their uh, running backs, not that great. But Josh Allen has an advantage uh, going against this Baltimore team simply because he has a better arm. He is more dangerous. Uh, Cole Beasley wasn't even supposed to play in this game, ends up with seven catches. Stephon Diggs does what he does, six catches, 128 yards. I mean, you know, that's the other thing with Allen. He he spread the ball around. I mean, seven catches, six, four, four, three, two. I mean, he doesn't hone in on one receiver. He is going to be a handful for this Baltimore team. And the game is going to be in Buffalo. It's going to be cold. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, the thing I look at in this game is that Buffalo could just as easily have won this game. And there was a, and you, and the, it was actually the Buffalo defense that won this game. So we can talk about Josh Allen all we want, but there was a point early in this game, the Colts are up 10, seven in the second quarter. And they are driving. They have a first and goal inside the Buffalo four-yard line. They get nothing. Now, you can make a case, and I made a case right then. I thought Frank Reich should have called for the field goal and Buff- uh, and Indy should have taken the field goal and gone up 13-7. to But they decided to go for it on fourth down, Rivers pass, uh, was intended for Michael Pittman, went off his fingertips, and uh, Buffalo takes over. And then Buffalo then goes 96 yards on 10 plays. Josh Allen scores on a five-yard run with 14 seconds left in the second quarter. Buffalo goes up 14-10. Now, the Colts shot themselves a little bit in the foot, too, in that drive in that they had – Buffalo on a fourth and three at the at the Indianapolis 26-yard line, and Josh Allen got one of the uh, defensive linemen to jump offside. Gave him a first down, drive continues, and Buffalo ends up winning this game. But Frank Reich made a couple of questionable decisions. He was very, very aggressive in this game. Might have bit him. Might have bit him. You look at it, you lost by a field goal. You 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 don't know. You can't say, well, if they kick the field goal, the game ends up in overtime. We don't know that for sure. But there were a couple of decisions in this game that Frank Reich made that left you scratching your head a little bit, and that was one. When you've got a 10-7 lead, I think you got to take the points. I, I absolutely do. Maybe, maybe Buffalo scores anyway, but I'm taking the points there. But that's going to be a fascinating game next week. Um, another fascinating game next week, the geriatric game between, uh, the New Orleans saints and the Tampa Bay bucks. Uh, that game is going to be, I believe on, uh, I think it's going to be on Saturday night. I have to double check that. Um, let me look at that right now. That game is going to no, it's going to be Sunday night. 640 in New Orleans, Tampa Bay at New Orleans for the third time this season. Drew Brees, 42, Tom Brady, 43, almost 44. Um, the Saints beat the Bears 21-9 to yesterday. Drew Brees, 
threw for 265, a couple of touchdowns, did not get sacked, looked very comfortable. Alvin Kamara, of course, they it was nice getting their running backs back that they didn't have the previous week. Alvin Kamara runs for 99 yards. Michael Thomas involved uh, offensively. He had his first touchdown reception in over a year. He missed nine games this year with injuries. And uh, he catches a touchdown pass from Breeze in the first quarter. And uh, New Orleans wins this one fairly convincingly. Uh, 400 yards of offense. Chicago didn't even have 300. Again, the quarterback situation in Chicago, if you are the Bears, you've got to, you've got to move on from Mitchell Trubisky, in my mind. You know, the, the quarterback situation in Chicago seems to be a mess year after year after year, and you wonder when they're going to get it figured out. But uh, so the Saints uh, win 21 to nine. So they get to play against Tom Brady and Tom Brady with his first playoff victory for a team not named the New England Patriots. And Tom Brady was, you know, what you expect. Threw for 381, a couple of touchdowns, you know, uh, again, had some drops. He was 22 for 40. And I think there were probably five balls, maybe six. That should have been caught. Uh, Fournette runs for 93 and a touchdown. Uh, the story of this game, though, and, you know, if you are a Washington fan with the mess that your quarterback situation has been in, Alex Smith not able to play, still having issues with that calf, and you wonder if we have seen the last of Alex Smith. It's been a great story. But uh, Taylor Henke was unreal. Uh, now look, you know, he, he wasn't, uh, his, he threw for 306 yards, but what impressed me was the way he ran the football. He ran for 46 yards, including a great touchdown. Um, a little bit of controversy with Hanky after the game, people found out all of a sudden that he was a Trump supporter. So of course, people that were fans of the Washington football team suddenly questioning their, their support for Taylor Hanky. But you got to be impressed with what this guy was taking online classes at Wake Forest to finish up his degree, uh, his master's degree in uh, November when he gets the call to become the like a practice squad uh, uh, COVID emergency for Washington, and then suddenly finds himself starting games. Great story. I mean, it, it couldn't finish it off with a win, but uh, he, uh, you know, and you wonder now if he has played himself into the conversation with Washington as far as uh, perhaps being their future quarterback. I mean, I think still think Washington is going to go out and try to draft a quarterback again. That hasn't gone so well for them with uh, with what's happened there with with Haskins and Robert Griffin the third, and you know, again, just like the Chicago Bears, the quarterback situation in Washington has been a mess for a long time as well. So anyway, it'll be fun next week with uh, Brady and Drew Brees. I was glad to see Drew Brees. Everybody seems to believe that Drew Brees is going to hang it up. They talked about that in the broadcast yesterday. That everybody thinks that. You know, Drew hasn't said anything, but everybody thinks that this is his swan song. You know, another guy that people are, are thinking might be done is Phillip Rivers. Now, Phillip Rivers said he hasn't made any decision what he's going to do. He did say something about if he does come back, it'll be with the Colts, and if it's not with the Colts, he'll retire. 
Frank Reich last night said that he wants Philip Rivers back as his quarterback next year. So we'll see. You know, Philip Rivers is what thirty nine. You know, and in this this day and age where we have quarterbacks playing longer and longer than uh, ever before, I wouldn't be surprised to see him come back. By the way, did you see the? Um, there was a graphic that NBC put up talking about uh, like the oldest quarterbacks to throw a touchdown pass in the postseason, and they showed Tom Brady at 43 versus George Blanda, I think, who was 41 when he or 42 when he did it for the Oakland Raiders. And they put this graphic up side by side. George Blanda looked like Tom Brady's grandfather. Tom Brady at 43 looks, you know, he looks like a young man. You look at this picture of George Blanda with the gray hair and the wrinkles and, oh, my God. Blanda looked like he was 70, not 40. That was funny. So, anyway, so that would be a fun one next week. The two old guys get a chance uh, to face off, and one of them will be going uh, to the uh, to the NFC Championship game. Uh, i got a couple other things to talk about. We'll do that in a minute. We've got to take a break. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. A few minutes left this morning. By the way, it's uh, January 11th here, and it's chilly this morning, but I was just uh, looking at the news. It's snowing all over Texas. So like, uh, Waco, Texas, had like four and a half inches of snow. It's more snow that they've had in Waco in 40 years. Ugh. Keep it down there, please. Um, the uh, other playoff game from the weekend that we haven't talked about yet, the Rams uh, upset the uh, Seattle Seahawks. And uh, this one falls squarely on the shoulders, in my mind, of Russell Wilson. Um, I don't know what has happened to Russell Wilson. I don't know whether uh, this is about the offensive scheme that they're running or whether Russell Wilson is, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't want to say overrated, but, uh, you know, Russell Wilson was 11 for 27, folks. Uh, got sacked five times. I mean, you have to give this Ram defense. This Ram defense has been playing very, very well. Uh, and this Ram defense was motivated. They, this Ram team was very upset a couple of weeks ago, of course. Uh, Seattle clinched the division title on the Rams field. And they were uh, celebrating. And that one, uh, the Rams stood on that one. And the defense really stepped up yesterday. I mean, they stifled. Russell Wilson. He just looked lost. I mean, there's no other way to put it. He looked lost. And for the Rams, you know, you already were going into this game knowing that your starting quarterback, Jared Goff, wasn't going to be able to play because, you know, he had three pins inserted a week ago in that thumb. So John Wolford gets to start, and then he gets hurt in the first quarter. Running for the ball, he dives, and, uh, while he's on the ground, another player comes in, hits him in the helmet, and uh, ends up leaving the game, going to the hospital, get his neck checked out. Um, and by the way, they originally threw a flag on that, and then picked the flag up, and they said, well, he was no one, he doesn't get the protection because he was a runner. Except that he was already on the ground when this defensive player came in with the helmet-to-helmet contact that hurt Wolford. 
said it still should have been a penalty. And I agree. You know, and the fact that it wasn't it wasn't talked about an awful lot, but that should have been a that should have been a penalty, another 15 yards. So anyway, so Walford goes out. Now all of a sudden, Jared Goff, who can't play because of that thumb, has to play. And Goff wasn't right. I mean, you could see he didn't have the zip on the ball. A lot of balls were sailing. You know, because he can't grip it while he's <laughs> you got three pins in your thumb a week ago. The fact that he played at all was a miracle. Went nine for 19 for 155 yards. Did throw a touchdown pass. Um, but the story of the game for the Rams was Cam Akers. He just ran all over Seattle. 28 carries, 131 yards, and a touchdown. And uh, the Rams uh, led 20 to 10 at halftime. And this Seattle team never really was able to get back in the game. Uh, they, the Rams opened it up to 30 to 13 uh, late in the fourth quarter. So, uh, kudos to the Rams. I mean, and again, if you're Seattle, you have to, you have a lot of questions. And you just signed Pete Carroll, by the way, to a contract extension. But you have to start wondering, you know, and again, you look at their record in the regular season, well, what are you talking about? I mean, this team, you know, had a nice year. You know, so why are you you're questioning things? Well, I'm questioning things because, again, you know, beating up on some bad teams, you know, is one thing. But there are times when you need to be able to step up against good teams. And Seattle had trouble with that. And Russell Wilson had a rough year. And you really have to begin to wonder, if this guy is your franchise quarterback and he struggles like that, and it wasn't just in this playoff game. He struggled off and on all season. He hasn't looked like the Russell Wilson we expected. You know, that they, they were 12-4 and four this year. Yet that, to me, was a soft 12-4. And, and, you know, easy for me to say as I sit here in my studio in Connecticut. But if you are Seattle, you have to really begin to question, you know, what's going on. You know, even when you were winning games, you were struggling to win them. A bad San Francisco team last game of the season, you win it by three points. You know, you can't, you're not scoring points. You lost to the Giants, for God's sake. You beat a bad Eagles team, barely. I mean, so many of their wins, when you go down their wins during the regular season, they were all like one-possession games. You know, almost every win they had was a one-score game. New England, they won by five. Dallas, they beat them by seven. Miami, they beat them by eight. They beat Minnesota by one. You know, they didn't have a lot of blowout wins. The only blowout wins they had, they beat the Jets 40-3. to Other than that, everything was close. You know, so offensively, this team just is not what you would, what I would expect. I think what a lot of people expected. And now they get to play, <laughs> and good luck with this, they get to play, the Green Bay Packers, and they, and excuse me, they get to play the, uh, the Rams get to play the Green Bay Packers. And the Rams are in trouble. If Wolford, even if he can play, even if Goff can play, that quarterback position right now, Goff is not 100%. Even if he was, Aaron Rodgers is the MVP. Aaron Rodgers, and they have this game, 
Seattle team. I'm sorry. I don't care. 12 and 4, say what you want. That That is not a good team. Yeah, they're better than a lot of the bad teams. But that Seattle team, I don't care. 12 and 4. You look good on